Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And no Connor this week. He is on a vacation. You know, this is the show that uh, compares uh, my view, uh, baby boomer, libertarian, with Connor's view, progressive, millennial. (laughs) Well, today, uh, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last to bloviate without any concern about Connor pointing out possible gaps in my reasoning. Uh, He will be back in a couple of weeks. Meantime, today, I want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, First, the last two Supreme Court decisions about the EPA and climate change and the Remain in Mexico ruling. I want to talk about extremism in Supreme Court decisions in a way that might be kind of surprising to you. I also want to talk a little bit about the January 6 hearings. Is this going to be Watergate all over again? Before we get to the two big substantive topics, I like to start with some human interest items related to the law or politics. Uh, first, uh, when it comes to too many lawyers, maybe it should be too many judges as well, because we've got a really wacko off the rails Florida, Florida judge I want to talk to you about. And also want to talk about um, kind of an unusual maybe uh, race for the Democratic nomination for the presidency in 2024. Uh, some people are talking about uh, Michelle Obama. But I think maybe Hillary Clinton and Gavin Newsom uh, are the likely two folks to survive to, to the very end in 2024. I'll explain that to you as well. So first, let's talk about Florida. Too many lawyers. No, it's too many judges today. Florida judge has been disciplined after a video showed him cursing out a defendant. Seminole County Judge Wayne Culver is to be suspended without pay for 60 days. He's going to get a public reprimand and he'll be required to complete an anger management course. You know you're in trouble when you're a judge and they're forcing you to take an anger management course and plus stress management counseling. So one incident uh, took place a couple of years, uh, excuse me, a couple of months ago involved the judge responding to a litigant uh, who was uh, yelling and uh, being disruptive. Uh, Judge Culver told the guy in court that the court's words were the most important words you'll ever hear as long as you live as an organism on this planet. 
Very odd phrasing, but, you know, he's the judge, so he must be right. Court followed that up by telling the pro se respondent, representing himself, that if he continued to interrupt one of the other parties, the judge would send him to jail for so long, the litigant would have to have the jail renamed after him. So this judge is creative, too, as well as a little bit sarcastic and funny. The Judicial Commission found Judge Culver's use of sarcasm and mockery was inappropriate and served to raise the level of tension in the courtroom. Uh, you think? Uh, he said to uh, one litigant, uh, can you shut up and sit down? So naturally, the litigant starts to explain why he wasn't doing anything wrong. And the judge says, that's not shutting up. Do you want to be held in contempt and go to jail? I asked you a blanking question, blank. Now, the blanks are just expletives in this transcript I've seen I'm curious as to uh, what words the judge felt it was okay to utter in his own court, but we'll never know. According to the Judicial uh, Council's finding, the judge unlawfully imposed three consecutive contempt sentences. Well, you know, could have had three really bad people in front of him, but probably not. And the document uh, by the council goes on to say, well, Judge Culver has accepted full responsibility and regrets his actions have cast a negative light. In other words, he regrets he was caught being a total creep. Florida Supreme Court will have the last word on what happens next. Uh, Seminole County Court Administration uh, points out that later, uh, Judge Culver apologized to the man he dressed down in court, uh, and the man apologized back to the judge as well. I'm wondering if they went to get a beer together in the courthouse cafeteria. Ah, trick question. They don't serve beer in courthouse cafeterias. Thank God. All right. Human interest topic number two, Gavin Newsom. You may think I'm nuts, but I'm going on record right now. In July 2024, I think it's going to be mud wrestling between Gavin Newsom and Hillary Clinton. Now, why would we suspect Gavin Newsom might be interested when he said, oh my goodness, I have no interest in that? Well, he just took $105,000 from his re-election campaign war chest and he doesn't need anything because you know, he's rolling to victory as governor again in California. But he's taken the $105,000 from his campaign war chest and he's bought cable TV ads in the state of Florida. Now, is this to boost his presidential chances? Oh, <laughs> no. Governor Newsom says, no, it's to convince the folks who've left California for Florida in droves in recent years to come on back, back to the land of the highest state income tax in the country. Florida's income taxes, zero. To the land of the highest poverty rate, the highest inflation rate, highest unemployment rate in the land, a sanctuary state where we say, come on up, medical bills, you're illegal, not a problem. We'll pay them, we'll pay them all. Back to the land of San Francisco is a cesspool of crime and syringes and poop on the ground where felonies are transformed magically into misdemeanors and misdemeanors are just not charged. Where criminals literally ride their Vespas through CVS drugstores, scooping up $949 worth of stuff as they're videotaped by amused security guards. And then they cruise on the Vespa out to the parking lot. They hand their stuff to their pals and then they ride back in for another $949 worth of misdemeanor theft that will never be prosecuted. And of course, the cruel irony is often these Vespa riding shoplifters, they first shoplift a calculator so they can add up the stuff they're stealing to make sure it stays under $950. So as to uh, who uh, Mr. Newsom might face for the Democratic nomination in 2024, it ain't going to be Biden. 
Everybody seems to agree. You know, Biden's not going to be sticking around for that. Not going to be Kamala Harris. Nobody, not even the Democrats want Kamala Harris to be running. And there aren't any, you know, big prominent people. I mean, people are suspecting that if Michelle Obama wanted it, all she'd have to do is just snap her fingers. But we don't know for sure she's going to do that. So I'm looking at this matchup between Hillary and Governor Gavin Newsom. Now, is she really running, you ask? Well, uh, she was on Gail King, CBS Morning News recently, and she didn't say no. She was asked in various different ways, and it was the usual, I just can't, I've been there, but done that for Gail, really? But she didn't say no. And she did go on the interview. Now, Hillary Rodham Clinton uh, sees possibly DeSantis as her opponent, so she's been talking about him a lot lately. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, people have different perspectives on whether uh, Hillary would be a good candidate. Now, Bill Maher on his show, uh, Real Time, said after she lost to uh, Trump a few years ago, uh, he responded to uh, questions about whether Hillary Clinton was really done, you know, the political obituary of her. He said, Hillary, stay in the woods. OK, you had your shot. You effed it up. You're Bill Buckner. We had the World Series. You let the grounder go through your legs. Let someone else have the chance. On the other hand, not everybody agrees. Doug Schoen, a Democrat consultant you've seen plenty on cable over the years, he thinks that Hillary's time is now coming up in 2024. He points out there's a perfect storm in the Democratic Party. Biden, Kamala, no big alternative leaves a big opening for Hillary Clinton, especially with Roe versus Wade as a prominent issue. He wrote that the country knows her as an experienced politician and a champion of women's rights. From her declaration at the U.N. in 1995 that women's rights are human rights to being the first woman nominated as a major party's candidate for president in 2016, she offers the exact type of leadership that the Democrat Party desperately needs. And Doug Schoen is a guy a lot of people listen to. He goes on to say whether or not party leaders will admit it, Democrats know they need to move on from Biden if they want to stay in the White House in 2024. And more importantly, have a fighting chance of building a sufficient enough majority in Congress to advance any element of their agenda going forward, including and especially codifying abortion rights. So this guy, uh, he's, he's pretty confident Hillary's uh, time is coming back. Fox News Channel's uh, Juan Williams has kind of the same attitude. He wrote uh, just a week ago, Democrats need a strong voice ready to fight to restore women's rights. Now that the struck Supreme Court has struck down Roe versus Wade, there's only one Hillary Clinton. Well, he's right there. There is only one Hillary Clinton. All right. To our big substantive topics, uh, number one is the last couple of Supreme Court decisions issued uh, the very last day of the term about the EPA and the Biden administration's attempt to fight uh, climate change and the remain in Mexico decision. So what do these decisions and other recent ones like abortion and guns say about the issue of faith, religion and extremism in terms of the Supreme Court, which has dropped to something like 27 percent favorability in public opinion polls? Well, first, let's talk about the uh, EPA decision, West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency. So this ruling held that the EPA's ability to regulate the energy sector is limited. It limited it to emission controls at individual power plants. And the significance of this is that it could be the basis for cutting other regulatory powers. So, you know, the basics are electricity, we know, is generated in a couple of ways. First, you could have power plants fueled by coal and gas that cause carbon emissions that contribute to global warming. 
That's one alternative. Another alternative is cleaner sources, wind and solar. Of course, nuclear is not an option because, uh, did I say nuclear like uh, Jimmy Carter? No, I meant to say nuclear. Uh, We know that that's not on the table because uh, the left does not like nuclear power. So the Clean Air Act gave the EPA the power to regulate emissions. So the question is, what may the EPA do to exercise that power. The conservative majority for the Supreme Court, in Chief Justice Roberts' opinion, said the EPA's power is limited. They can control what comes out of individual power plants, but they can't issue more sweeping rules. So this is really part of a larger legal-slash-political debate over the ability of regulatory agencies to do their job. The Republicans say these guys are unelected bureaucrats. They have no right to change the law. Democrats say, oh, they should have broad powers to implement general guidance by Congress. And the fight is over what's called the major questions doctrine. So if there are really major questions facing society, Congress has to be specific in terms of what the regulatory agencies are entitled to do. So uh, some examples of areas where the courts have actually cut back on the agency's powers prior to the CPA decision. Uh, Take a look at the CDC. So during the pandemic, they have a right under the statute to act to protect health in specific ways in terms of education and and working with the FDA for the vaccines. But they do not have a right to say, you know what, if everybody in an apartment house were protected from eviction, that would help public health. So we're going to ban, we're going to impose a moratorium on evictions. CDC cannot do that. That's an example of overstepping the bureaucrats' power. Another example, um, OSHA. OSHA is the law that uh, sets rules authorized by Congress for safety. But you can't go uh, off the rails and say, you know what? Uh, General Electric has so many employees and it would be very safe if they would vaccinate every employee and force everybody to have a weekly COVID testing. The OSHA group does not have the power to do that because it's not in the statute. So these are examples of, of, uh, of limitations on bureaucratic power. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the effect of these recent rulings and the nature of these rulings when it comes to the analysis of the Supreme Court acting in a very extreme fashion. We'll be right back going Too Many Lawyers. This is Too BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is a message for anyone with high LDLC or bad cholesterol who has had or is at risk of having a cardiovascular adverse event. Merck is studying an investigational medication to see whether it may help lower the risk of future cardiovascular adverse events. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide, and in the United States alone, there are over 73 million people living with high LDLC. To learn about whether you may qualify, visit CoralReefStudies.com now. Again, that is C-O-R-A-L-R-E-E-F-S-T-U-D-I-E-S dot com. 
Any lawyers, I'm Royal Oaks. Connor will be back in two weeks after he returns from his vacation. So we're talking about the influence of extremism on uh, Supreme Court decisions. A lot of people have been very critical of the conservative-leaning court, saying they're making faith-based decisions. They're not rational. They're not legal. And my theme here is that there's plenty of extremism to go around. Whether it's secular or faith-based, it's a bad thing. So in that way, Let's talk about this EPA decision we've just been discussing and the limitation by the Supreme Court on the power of the EPA to implement creative, different kind of solutions that aren't really designated by the statute that created the EPA and the Clean Air Act on which the EPA is basing its view. So the dissent in the U.S. Supreme Court in the EPA decision was by Justice Kagan. And she said, you know, the majority only briefly discussed climate change. And she had a long passage in her dissent about the devastation the planet faces, hurricanes and floods, famines and coastal erosion and mass migration and political crises. So she said, Congress has a right to delegate significant power and decisions to agencies. They are the experts. She said the Supreme Court doesn't have a clue as to how to deal with climate change. So this is a perfect storm here of the arrogant progressive mindset. We know best. We think something is really important, as Kagan wrote. Whatever else this court may know about, it does not have a clue about how to address climate change. And let's say the obvious, the stakes are here are high, yet the court today prevents congressionally authorized agency action to curb power plants' carbon dioxide emissions. Hmm. Hey, Justice Kagan, what about this? Your job is not to pass laws and save the world. You have two jobs. First, decide who wins lawsuits based on the facts of a case and the applicable law. If the decision below by the trial court and the U.S. Court of Appeals is wrong, thank goodness you're there. You can reverse it and let the person who should win be the winner. That's job number one. Job number two, decide if the law violates the Constitution. Your job is not to decide what is a really, really good idea for public policy and law. It's hard to argue against the arc of history favoring compassion and common sense regarding legislative action to protect consumers and citizens from dangers. But judges are not lawmakers or kings or dictators, which is exactly what Kagan, maybe we should call her Justice Karen, sounds like when she says judges don't know about climate change and that in her omniscient view, it's really, really important to enact a law that she likes. So, is faith driving bad decisions? Is secular extremism driving bad decisions? Well, let's turn to the Remain in Mexico decision. The Remain in Mexico ruling may be proof that decisions aren't always knee-jerk reactions based on extreme positions. Because here, the Biden administration won. You remember the context. The Trump administration comes along several years ago and they say, hey, this is a real problem. Everybody's streaming across our borders. They're illegal. And so, we say you got to remain in Mexico if we don't have enough detention facilities at the border to take care of you. Oh, you say that it's dangerous to go back. Hey, sorry. You know, you got to follow the rules. That was the Trump administration position. Biden administration takes over and says, oh, OK, we're tearing that one up. No more remain in Mexico. We think people should be able to roam freely throughout society in America on the promise that doggone it, they will return nine months from now for their immigration hearing on their asylum request. So that's what the Biden administration did. The Supreme Court had to decide who wins, Biden or Trump. Hey, guess what? Biden won. Why? Because Trump appointee Kavanaugh 
And Republican appointee Chief Justice Roberts joined with the three liberals to say, you know, we may not like illegal aliens coming in, but the law, not our biases, determines the decision that Biden had the right to dump the program. He had that discretion. So, again, occasionally you don't see extremism driving decisions, but often you do. I mean, when I get back to Kagan's worry about climate change, oh, we're going to die. Supreme Court knows nothing about it. You must listen to Greta Sundberg and, and, and my experts that I lift like you absolutely must. So Kagan ignores the law because she's so convinced that we're going to die in a tidal wave. It's like jury nullification. You got a marijuana possession case. Uh, a juror secretly thinks this law sucks. I don't think possession of marijuana should be illegal. The juror thinks to herself, well, this guy's guilty, clearly violated the law, but I'm going to vote not guilty because I just don't believe in the law. That's called jury nullification. Well, there's justice nullification too. That's what Kagan is doing. And the abortion opponents are doing the same thing. Uh, many of them know they don't have a valid constitutional argument, but they don't like abortion, so they're letting their extremism guide their view. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid the extremism infecting these decisions? I think it gets back to just basic values, freedom and justice. I mean, freedom, that should be our default setting, our presumption. Anytime a question arises when it comes to political or legal issues, the question should be, what's on the side of freedom? And then you ask, well, is there a basis for an exception to this? Well, there's security. We got to take people's money to pay for cops and soldiers. So, you know, freedom isn't unlimited. You better pay for the cops and the soldiers or pretty soon you won't have freedom. You'll be dead. Then there's another exception to the idea of freedom. How about compassion? We have social security. We have welfare rules and so on. You can argue over whether there should be workfare. You can argue over the limitations. But nobody who has any sense argues against the idea that compassion is a value and it is an exception to the idea of pure Ayn Rand freedom. You know, everybody uh, earns what they make and who cares if somebody else dies in the street. So you got the two values, but then there's a second question. What about the process of achieving freedom and security? Well, it's, it's all about justice. The law applies the same to everybody. Nobody gets punished or rewarded for being in a particular demographic group, gender, race, or age. The justice is everybody being subject to the same rules regarding rights and obligations. So that's your default setting. That's your, your principle, your guiding star. Again, everything has exceptions. Well, what about fairness? Uh, people argue for reparations. People argue for affirmative action. Fine, have the debate. But recognize that the default setting should be justice. If you want to deviate from that, it's up to you to come up with a really good reason for that. And the decisions on the exceptions ideally should be made by lawmakers who aren't acting based on self-interest or the interest of voters who will return them to office. That's why the checks and balances of government are so important. The procedures for, for cooling passions to help make sure we don't succumb to every law being a result of our partisan playbook for self-interested rules. When we come back, the January 6th hearings. Is it going to be Watergate all over again? Is it going to be Joe McCarthy era from the 50s all over again? We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is a message for anyone with high LDLC or bad cholesterol who has had or is at risk of having a cardiovascular adverse event. Merck is studying an investigational medication to see whether it may help lower the risk of future cardiovascular adverse events. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. And in the United States alone, there are over 73 million people living with high LDLC. To learn about whether you may qualify, visit CoralReefStudies.com now. Again, that is C-O-R-A-L-R-E-E-F-S-T-U-D-I-E-S.com. This is Timothy Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks, talking about the January 6 hearings and whether they represent uh, sort of the specter of Watergate all over again. And of course, everybody's talking about the Cassidy Hutchinson testimony, the young woman in her 20s who uh, testified about Donald Trump's actions uh, and knowledge and intents and statements uh, on January 6th. And the question in my mind is whether we finally have our Joe McCarthy, Army McCarthy hearings moment. Back in the 50s, McCarthy was very popular. More than 50% of the public loved the fact that he was going after those communists. And then we had the televised Army McCarthy hearings that exposed him as a demagogue. And what do you know, within a few months, he was censured by his colleagues in the U.S. Senate. And he was on a downhill slide. And a couple of years later, he dies of alcoholism. So is the Donald Trump movement headed for that fate based at least this is the, sort of the kickoff on the Cassidy Hutchinson testimony. So one issue that she talked about is that Trump knew that the rally attendees had weapons, but he resisted using metal detectors. He said, they're not going to hurt me. Take them away. Take away the metal detectors. Trump then urged the folks in the crowd to march to the Capitol in spite of his knowledge that some of them were armed. Hutchinson testified over, heard the president say, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags, magnetometers, metal detectors, away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. And in his speech, he said, quote, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. So that's a pretty dramatic fact that came out. Then there's the hang Mike Pence idea. Trump said he deserves it. Hutchinson testified that she heard Meadows, the chief of staff to the president, tell Cipollone, the lawyer for the president, uh, Trump says he thinks Mike's deserve Mike deserves hanging. He doesn't think that the rioters are doing anything wrong. Trump didn't want to stop the capital violence. He knew violence was possible. He did nothing about it. When told of violence, he did nothing about it. Allegedly, he lunged for the steering wheel to go to the Capitol, grappled with the Secret Service. Bobby Engel, head of his detail, uh, has, uh, has not spoken out on this. Reports are he's going to deny it. We shall see. Hutchinson says she was told this by Trump's head of operations, Anthony Ornato. And then there's the Trump throwing his lunch against the wall, not for the first time, when uh, Attorney General Barr told the Associated Press there was no evidence of election fraud. Okay, this is a personality thing. This is not exactly a, uh, a traitorous offense. Stephanie Grisham, the press secretary, uh, said that Trump would regularly snap. A staff member called the Music Man would be summoned to play show tunes that soothe Trump, just like the, the song Memory from Cats. That's reassuring. It's kind of like a mid-season finale of a blockbuster drama. This whole thing uh, was was choreographed uh, in terms of uh, of the presentation by the January 6th committee. But it seems like it's having an effect on on public opinion. 
Ideally, you would have GOP members cross-examining her, but you know, that was not to be. The, uh, the decision was made by uh, uh, Leader McCarthy on that behalf of the House Republicans. No, since Nancy Pelosi won't allow the guys we want, Jim Jordan and a few others, then we're not going to participate at all. So the question is, is this the beginning of the end for Donald Trump? Brett Stevens, he's the conservative, never Trumper, New York Times op-ed columnist. He said Trump's, Trumpsters are like cultists, but he holds out hope that enough people will now peel off. He talked about Margaret Singer, a clinical psychologist who has studied cults, noting that among the ways cults succeed is by creating a closed system of logic and belief. And of course, that's always been essential to Trump's messaging. Either you love Trump or you're an enemy of the people. Either you want to make America great uh, again or you hate America. Either you accept that Trump is always right, even when he contradicts your deepest values or when he contradicts himself or you are deficient in loyalty to him and hatred of his enemies. Either you stick with Trump or you're a Republican in name only rhino. So that's that's the issue that's being teed up. So next big question on January 6th is how can prosecutors not proceed given this evidence against Donald Trump? So to file charges, you only need probable cause that somebody is guilty of a crime. You don't have to have evidence of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, because when you issue a search warrant or you charge somebody with a crime uh, that you get indicted by a a grand jury uh, or in a preliminary hearing, the judge says, "Okay, you're going to trial. The standard all of these decision makers have to uh, use is probable cause, which is would a reasonable person suspect that a crime may have been committed? So you don't have to have smoking gun evidence of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt to charge somebody. But prosecutors don't like to file unless they have that higher standard because they like to win. But it's not actually the standard. Now, it's possible the Department of Justice will be timid about filing charges against Trump, even though pretty soon we're probably going to get a criminal referral out of this House committee. They may be timid because of blowback. Uh, they may say, you know what, uh, it's going to look bad for the Department of Justice, which is a Biden cabinet position, and the boss of the Department of Justice, Attorney General Merrick Garland, is an appointee of Joe Biden. It's kind of going to look bad for the Department of Justice to say, we're hereby charging Donald Trump with a crime. It's a felony. We think he should go to prison for decades. When Trump is the likely candidate who would oppose Biden, assuming Biden runs, in 2024. It just inherently looks funny. Now, you can say, well, no man is above the law, and our job is to enforce the law, and I'm sorry, sorry, we have to have to charge Donald Trump. We know it's going to look bad and political to a lot of people, uh, but doggone it, we just have to do it. Well, it's really going to be tough to justify that. Uh, January 6th hearing, I think, though, has shifted the narrative. Uh, The idea is that uh, when it comes to the evidence against Donald Trump, that he knew there was a a potential for violence and he was essentially cooperating in in an attempted coup to the point where he would be fine with hanging uh, his vice president. That's the kind of thing that could tip over uh, the decision to file charges. I think the logical solution to the fact that there's timidity at the Department of Justice is for the DOJ to hand the ball to a special prosecutor. Why in the world wouldn't the attorney general say, look, you get a special prosecutor when there's some possibility that you're not going to have a completely unbiased, completely fair prosecution. We want somebody who can't be fired. We want somebody who is beyond reproach in terms of, of ethical standards. And so we don't want anybody questioning that we in the Department of Justice are making a decision on political grounds. As a result, boom, hand the ball to a special prosecutor, maybe a Republican 
maybe a very esteemed, highly respected Republican prosecutor. That, I think, would be the way to go if you're going to do it on the federal level. And, of course, as we've talked about on the podcast in the past, there are possibilities that the D.C. prosecutors or the Atlanta prosecutors might file charges against Donald Trump as opposed to the Department of Justice. Well, that's all the bloviation I'm going to inflict on you this time. But next time on Too Many Lawyers, I want to give you a little preview. I want to continue talking about Trump's future in terms of politics and the law. A couple of questions I want to tee up. Could Trump be barred from running in 2024 if he's impeached yet again? So one question is, could a former president be impeached? The issue was addressed before in the days leading up to the end of Trump's administration. Now that we have additional evidence, I think that is going to return. Secondly, if he is convicted by the Senate in a third impeachment, could he be barred from running? And finally, if Donald Trump is convicted of a crime, would he be barred from running in 2024? You might be surprised by the answer. Uh, it's a complex question, but it's something that just might arise. We'll get into that and other issues next time on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is a message for anyone with high LDLC or bad cholesterol who has had or is at risk of having a cardiovascular adverse event. Merck is studying an investigational medication to see whether it may help lower the risk of future cardiovascular adverse events. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. And in the United States alone, there are over 73 million people living with high LDLC. To learn about whether you may qualify, visit CoralReefStudies.com now. Again, that is C-O-R-A-L-R-E-E-F-S-T-U-D-I-E-S dot com.